0: Oh, am I doing the intro? Every week it's a surprise with this guy. I know, I, I just, I'm just taking it back. All right, we are at Twig 231. We have Laura. Hello. And she is back at home, it looks like.
1: I am back at home with a proper microphone sitting on a carpeted floor.
0: Gotcha. But now she still does not have anything on the walls, so she's still in the middle of decorating after like six months. Um, we have Ethan Levy back in the house after some horrendous, uh, activities in the household. Sickness. Yes. Lots of,
2: lots of bodily fluids.
0: Philip is back.
3: I'm here. How you doing, Philip? Uh, I'm in Canada. You're in a closet. Yeah, I'm in Canada. It's the same thing. Uh, I'm actually in Adam Telfer's neck of the woods in Ontario, Canada. And let me tell you, the dream of the nineties is alive here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> booster juice is like a prominent brand here there's another place called pizza pizza it feels like i'm still on the set of zoe 101 uh it's a lot of bizarre things going on
0: toronto sucks i mean just let's be real <laughs> all right um good for raising families right that's <laughs> whatever anyway all right and jen is back howdy we're happy to have her again giving her hot takes on the things that are going on in the business
4: oh there'll be many of them today
0: Yes, we got a lot of topics today. We're going to go through some Dota stuff. We're going to go through some Apple Arcade news, Hogwarts Legacy, Nintendo Update, and then this big Phil Spencer interview, which I, God damn it, I didn't want to talk about this stuff anymore, but man, this guy just let it loose, admitting defeat. He has lost the console generation forever, evidently, according to his own words, which is exactly what I've been saying, but anyway... We'll get onto that.
2: Also, the Activision and Riot uh, settlements is our other big topic
0: this week. Okay. All right. We're going through that. Got it. Man, lots to talk about. All right. Let's get moving. Quick uh, intro from my perspective. Uh, We have no corrections this week because we got everything right last (laughs) week, as far as I know.
2: Everything right but the editing.
0: Things beyond our control. Mr. Mishka got a little heavy-handed with the editing uh, because Ethan was gone, and so he screwed it up. And I promise you I was not interrupting Jen or anybody else as much as it sounded so just to be clear and then I also want to give a real special thanks to the Irene team for setting my own swag box including a pen, notepad, coffee mug, thermos. All this was because I talked trash about their 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 frilly little vests, right? Um but they threw me of course they sent me a vest, but they didn't send me just any vest. They didn't like take something off the shelves but one of the Areem vests, they made a custom Gossamer Consulting <laughs> chest and, uh, and sent it out in vest and sent it out to me. I mean, these guys are a class act. Now you have to go on a day hike. I know. And for all your M&A needs, please contact Areem.co. right? All right. Anyway, thank you, Arim, for all the swag. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll wear it with pride, right? Um, all right. We have some shameless self-promotions. Let's go. Do it.
1: All right, I have one. So um, John and I wrote a deconstruction of Dream Games, uh, Royal Kingdom. It covers our take on its strategic purpose, as well as our predictions on how it will perform. And a spoiler, we actually come away with different opinions on this, on whether or not it's going to be uh, the hit we I hope it is versus uh, just a very good game. And as added bonus for those playing the game, they finally released new content. So they were stuck at 101 levels for the first three weeks, and they just had a recent content drop.
2: I have to say, having having worked on one of these types of puzzle games before, nothing is more dispiriting than when you launch 50 or 100 new levels, and you see that somebody completes them within an hour. <laughs> You're like, I worked for a week on those.
1: That is probably going to happen. <laughs> that is definitely going to happen. And I uh, normally I'm one of those players, but it's... I haven't been recently. Please forgive me, Dream. Um, second second um, promo. So Deconstructor Fun is starting a brunch series. Um, and they're gonna be focusing on major gaming hubs where leaders and enthusiasts can get together, share stories, insights, learnings, experiences to better grow their games and or businesses. The first brunch will be in Berlin next month on the 5th at Soho House, which is pretty, for those um, in Berlin or outside of Berlin, it's pretty central. Um, And after, we're we're going to be looking at cities like Seattle, Vancouver, and London, which I will help organize, Um, Eric's domain of San Francisco, and then more places like LA, Barcelona, and of course, Helsinki. If you want to join, subscribe to the DOF newsletter, the sign up link will be in the next email.
3: I will also plug a talk that I am going to be giving tomorrow as a part of the Game Drive Accelerator program sponsored by My. Games. I'm super excited about this. So we're gonna have this talk tomorrow. It's an online session. I think we'll be able to have a link in the show notes. Maybe maybe the, the podcast will be posted in time. If not, don't worry, there's an in-person event May 23rd in Malmo, I'll also be giving my talk there. I am super excited about this topic. I think I can tease it. I think I can tease it now. You know, this word thesis has come up a lot. Game thesis, what is that? How could we add more rigor to that process? How could we understand that with a little bit more discipline? I think there's a lot we can do to build out this whole idea of game thesis. I'm excited to talk more about it. Again, that is May 11th. We're gonna have an online session. There'll be a YouTube link for the stream afterwards. And then there's the in-person session, May 23rd game thesis. It's going to be a lot of fun.
2: All right. And um, one one more plug. Uh, if you scroll back in the podcast feed, uh, I just did an interview with Brian Murphy, the head of games at uh, Apps Flyer, where we did a deep dive into their 2023 state of mobile marketing report. And I know uh, the majority of the audience is in mobile and has a heavy uh, part of their business in UA. And so... Uh, Give give that episode a listen. It was fun. All I did was look at the one key finding slide of in an eighty page PDF, just like everybody does at home, and uh, grilled Brian about it for an hour. And it was a really great talk.
4: Just a quick plus one to that. I listened already, and I love the idea of a whole series where you take these various data dumps that we get across the industry and do more of these podcasts. Two of them, two of these data dumps came out yesterday. One was from Data AI, and Tengen was another one, so please keep this up.
2: I, 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 paint data AI, our beloved sponsor. Um, I asked them when they're going to come on the pod. Great topic. So, uh, uh, our <laughs> beloved sponsor and the best data I provider just, in the industry. I'm ready to talk. I, I,
0: I, I just talked to Lexi yesterday, and she's she's on a I think a three or four week uh, uh, break <laughs> from the from the grind. But uh, yeah, I think she's more than willing to come on and talk about anything around data AI. Um. All right. What's next? Dota. Why are we talking about Dota? By the way, just to, just to be clear.
3: Well, well, Mister Kress, you love to talk about the top games on the market. <laughs> this is this is one of them. This has been on Steam's top five charts for what ten years. It shows no signs of slowing down. It did have a peak about five years ago, but it has maintained since then. It is unbelievable how Valve has kept this going. You know, you and I usually give a lot of shit, Eric, to Valve for. Essentially becoming a research institution and stopping their development of games. And we've seen a lot of re- leaked reports where a lot of people end up being frustrated working at Valve. Hey, you know, this isn't what I signed up for. But every once in a while, there is a heartbeat from the company. And I think we see that with CSGO. There are heartbeats. They continue to add content to that. We saw CSGO 2 announced. And not only that, they have released a massive update to Dota Dota 2, an unbelievable update. It's always timed with the International, which is their Super Bowl of uh, esports. And again, this ties into a lot we talk about when it comes to esports, you know, big brand marketing push. So they've always timed these things together, which is brilliant. And so the update is going to do a lot of interesting things uh it's going to shorten match length quite a bit so it's you know these mobas have a lot of in round progression there's a lot of leveling up that happens within the context of a round but dota in particular can drag on for quite some time matches can go as long as 40 minutes so a lot of the changes they're making here are adding a little bit more combat shortening some of the match length and I would argue probably getting a little bit more combat into the game. So super exciting to see this stuff. I would say, you know, why, why why update in this particular way? You know, the best I could find is that they've been slipping a little bit in China. You know, we talk about in the West, the MOBA market essentially being defined by League of Legends and Dota. And while that's essentially true, in the East, there's a little bit more competition, there's a little bit more elasticity, there's a little bit more movement between players in different games, and Dota's had a, you know a little bit of a decline in China, and so you wonder if this is a reaction to the decline in China, hey, can we inject some new mechanics into the game, can we add a little bit more? be super interesting to see how this one plays out
2: well you know phil it just warms my heart to hear you finally finally giving some props to one of the biggest most successful most innovative gaming companies in the world because decade-long successful live operation of a game isn't enough for you for some reason. So I'm glad to see that. uh, I don't know what this crusade against Valve is, but really, I just love to see you pulling your head out of the sand of the bad Valve and Supercell. And in pre-recording football you had an anti-football take what are these terrible takes phil i just so good good on you for for recognizing some great
0: we're uh, not we're not not putting innovative under valve okay for game development right they haven't done shit for decades live
2: operation is more important than new game development
0: well live operations is different from making being innovative game designer you know that's like a completely different I just having together.
2: having it is it is very 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 hard to keep an audience engaged for a decade. That's not what that's not also what I said. The Steam, that's the not Steam Deck is awesome.
0: <laughs> no, Steam Steam Deck is dumb. Steam
2: Deck is amazing. I love it. Try
0: to play try to play Jedi Knight uh, Jedi on on the Steam Deck.
2: I'm I'm a little to too busy playing Witcher games. 3 and Elden Ring. It's great. Yeah, All there's, right. there's no
4: way. I just want to jump in on on this one having worked at Riot The other MOBA in the market you know it's a little game so what Dota 2 does which is really interesting is they're taking a big risk in changing up what is you know pretty core play pattern everyone knows how to play that game and when you add something new you you take a big risk so this game has been an inspiration for Riot and a lot of other big companies since the birth of League of Legends and Teamfight Tactics TFT so Valve doesn't always get the credit, you know, to what you're saying, Ethan, but their ideas and what they do always sparks others to do some really cool shit. So I think it's public knowledge league was basically a ripoff of a mod in Dota two. And then TFT was born out of the fact that the team I was working with had an inability to do any real work because they were obsessed with auto chess that came out. Once I saw Auto chess, just a few months later, it was like, I don't know, five months, we launched TFT on PC. And then soon after that, it was on mobile. And now it's a key part of what Riot loves to do. And, and in fact, it became a, you know, a top 10 mobile game in China uh, on revenue. And so what I love is, you know, when other companies take a risk, they set this inspiration and this spark. It can actually have a, this kind of massive earthquake effect throughout the rest of the industry and in what they're doing. So good on them.
2: Just a a quick correction there. Uh, The original Dota was a mod to Warcraft 3, and then Dota 2 and League were kind of parallel developments, both two different companies trying to, uh, as well as Heroes of New Earth, trying to capture the magic of that original Warcraft 3 mod.
4: For sure, for sure.
5: This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Games. Or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games.
2: want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps well now you can apps flyer the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both ios and android and it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks yes you heard that correctly completely In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them. They know their data. Head to com slash benchmarks now for more info. All
4: right, so just another quick update from my side. Um, I just got an email last night from from the App Store saying Call of Duty Warzone Mobile is delayed so it looks like it's been delayed till November, so about six months, and I think this is going to have a uh, pretty big impact on Activ- Activision's financials. What do you think, Chris? No,
0: no, no, no. It's not. It's 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 mice nuts for them. It's not. It, it's not big, but it is part of their core strategy of bringing Call of Duty to all platforms. So, and this is their own game designed by them, built by them. Um, and my expectations is not going to do nearly as well as people think. But now that it's been delayed, it's certainly not going to do well this year. Right? Actually, and and, and de- delaying it to November is not a good look either, right? Because they have the new Call of Duty launching in the same time frame, um, which I guess could make sense. But it also could create lots more challenges in terms of integrations that they're trying to achieve with this game. So,
4: Yeah, I agree that see. launching a major mobile game in Q4 when you're going against, you know, AAA titles is something yeah. that in mobile, I always try to avoid. January is one of the best times to launch a mobile game ever.
0: Uh, my Yeah, my gut dollars of donuts is that they end up moving this thing to the first quarter of next year because it doesn't make sense to re- release it in holiday uh, for a mobile game. They should have runway to, like, get out the bugs and figure out the integration and all that stuff. And so anyway, look, making games is hard, right? Valve wouldn't know, but definitely (laughs) the guys at Activision know. All right. Speaking of making dumb games, uh, Apple (laughs) Apple Arcade.
4: (laughs) Apple Arcade just announced last week uh, 20 new games for the platform. Uh, Following up on last week's discussion on the subscription platforms, uh, I swear I had no prior knowledge to this, but they announced 20 more games alongside a very family-oriented trailer tipping their hat to the new target audience. Uh, it seems to be where they're really placing their bets is is this family-friendly games or family-oriented games. So what was interesting is only four of the games are new, and one of them is a Turtles game that is different okay. from what you see exclusively on Netflix. Uh, then there are the rest of the games are all uh, free-to-play games moved over with a little plus behind them, so just indicating no ads, no IAPs, so the difference in this announcement is usually they trickle things out. And so here they've kind of grouped it all together for one big announcement. So, Kress, clearly, you, know, I gotta, you have a take.
0: I just put this in like the nobody cares drawer. You know, like, I mean, seriously, if you're taking like tchotchke shit games that couldn't make it on their own and just paying the developer to make a free to put, uh, I mean, a, a, a premium version, I guess, is what they're doing. Nobody cares. The content's not compelling it's made for kids, like fine, like you own it. Right. But it's just, it's not, it's a non-event for mobile gaming or any other type of gaming. It's just is some shitey service for kids. I guess that's kind of my take.
3: It's its hospice for free to play. I mean, when your free to play game has sunk, you have two options. You either go crypto or you go Apple arcade, uh, you choose, <laughs> choose your destiny. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, so I've 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 talked about this before. I was an Apple Arcade developer, um, and I was extremely happy from the developer side of it, um, working on the Network Amber collaboration Tetris Beat, which was a chart topper on Apple Arcade. As a developer, it was a lot of joy uh, to get the backing of Apple to make an innovative game with original bespoke music from top uh, electronic musicians. We had great promotion. Um, And I would, as a developer, again, gladly make an Apple Arcade or Netflix game or similar exclusive in the future because it's a really uh, welcome break to be able to focus on fun and retention and not as much on the monetization. All that being said, something I did learn uh, working on more hyper casual end of things is that the ads, the rewarded video, the iap none of these things bother players as much as they say they do. You hear it spoken, you know, obviously people say it out loud that they hate the ads and they hate the purchases and they write about it on blogs and on Twitter. Um, But those are the stated preferences. If you look at the revealed preferences, and I did some very specific um, experiments around this, basically, nobody cares. They love free games with ads a lot more than they love subscription games and spending money. So the, the challenge for Apple Arcade and Netflix, they might think they're in competition with each other, and they're not. They are not in competition with each other. They're not in competition with premium games. They're in competition with the thousands and thousands of free games released every day. You know, people gripe about it, and they might get annoyed when their kids ask them to buy the Barbie Plus subscription. That happens to me. But, like, seriously, Temple Run Plus can't compete with Temple Run. Tomb Raider Reloaded Unlimited can't compete with Tomb Raider Reloaded. People do not hate ads enough to subscribe to something in the levels that these companies need to, to generate the type of revenue they're looking for or or lift and churn on, on
0: Netflix's. Right. Finally, we agree on something, right? I mean, that the, the, this whole premise is a ridiculous premise from the get go. And sorry for Graham and everyone else that works there that we all know. But it's a stupid idea. It was the second stupidest idea in gaming, as I've said many times. Behind, but it's uh, even
3: worse than that, right? It's not just like that they don't care about ads. I, I think the, the misunderstanding has been that this whole IAP monetization stuff is a tax. It's a tax on on design. It's a tax on players. It's not it's a subsidy. Players want to be able to spend not only in the East but also in the West. This is no, part that, of the core no, experience. That's not- it's absolutely That's true. So not true. <laughs> that
0: what the three the three percent that convert? You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. three percent convert. So you tell me that like the customer wants it when it's only three percent of the audience? That's ridiculous.
3: L- look at the That's, player they don't numbers. Want this.
0: No, look at no. the per- look at the conversion for ga- by no. game.
3: You're wrong, Phil. But you but you have to remember that over time They don't they don't over, want internet purchases but, but internet ha-
0: purchases are are attacks. Well, hold, hold it's up. evil. Hold,
3: hold up here. So when you look at a game over its life cycle, what happens? Non-payers churn and payers have greater retention rates than non-payers. And so over time, payers compose an increasingly large share of your DAU. So when you look at a game like Galaxy of Heroes, which has been out for five, seven years, the vast majority of that DAU ends up being players who have converted so over time spenders and actually end up forming the core of your engagement base
0: of course but these are the addicts right that are addicted to the free-to-play mechanics and the progression engines that you've created right that these are not like normal like customers at this point right the customers the normal customers have all long gone are they all long gone by the time like these games are, are scaling like no this is just it's a sickness you know like these games are are are, are are evil in some ways from like just exploiting the, uh, the desires and needs of progression and, and character building and all that other stuff that they do. It's, it's, it's no, it's not, it's not how you describe it at all.
3: I'll, I'll leave that one for another time, Eric.
1: Uh, yeah. I think this is a larger conversation. Cause I, 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 one, I don't think the, these games are necessarily that predatory. I feel like that gives a little bit too much credit that the she designers the behind them. She
0: said the word, not me.
1: I, I, it, I, disagree. I, I disagree. I'm going to check the tax, tape. I'm pretty, pretty a, sure you said it's, it. It's not a di- <laughs> I didn't I don't say think predatory.
2: This you time. called them addicts.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't say what. predatory. That's anyway, the, the point, I, I think there's the implication though that they take advantage of people, and that I don't. I don't agree with 100 percent at all. I think that that puts a lot of uh, onus on the there's like this mastermind of evil designs that go, that the teams are are generating these, you know, these deep features. I just don't think it's, it's, it's not that it is. It is definitely not that. Um, and I, I feel like this, could, sorry, this is like a huge, this is a really big topic. Um, I, I think at some point it would be good to actually dig into it. Cause it, it'd be good to come with a little bit more, more ammo in my pockets on defending defending free to play.
0: Let's move on because this is a hot topic. Speaking of non predatory games, Warner Brothers <laughs> just announced <laughs> that they are uh, um, releasing their game on on Curjan as well. And so this game, uh, the Warner Brothers uh, Hogwarts Legacy, um, uh, is going to do at least like twenty million units this year, which is insane like that is an insane performance uh for any game I and mean, that's almost up there with uh with Call of Duty right and 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 FIFA like the largest games every year right so um again i think partially it's because it executes so well on the on the on the um lore and the customer desire to be part of that world but also because i think people are just really starved for good new content um and even though it's a license it's still a very, very, very fresh take on what um, this type of game can be. Um, and it's also very expansive and very long and very in- involved. And so, um, and I think it caters to a broad demographic as well, which we've talked about a little bit. So anyway, the game is killing it. Um, it should still do really well over holiday, um, probably when it gets discounted as well. So easily north of 20 million units. So good, good, happy for the team.
1: I actually have a, a take on this. I'm glad this came up uh, this week. I'm about 10 hours in. And I agree, it's immersive. It, it is definitely scratching the itch for anyone who likes Harry Potter that wants to feel like they're part of it. Um, thumbs up on that. But I do hope they're also working on the next version of the game, like like Hogwarts Legacy two, because I think it could do with uh, a couple more updated systems and a few improvements. Um, to me, this felt like a intro intro game. Like let's let's get something out. Let's see how it goes. And then I think if they if they I don't know how you do it in console. I assume you talk to players, you see, read the reviews, but if they take the feedback, which would be kind of improvements on probably the mission system and the actions in game because they can feel a little repetitive. Um, there's a couple decisions I didn't understand. So there's like, you're making potions at one point and there's timers on it and it felt very free to play and it's not a free to play game. Um, so I, I would love to see some, some changes, some things with the spell casting, learning the spells. I, they could probably wipe, take that all out. Um, The one thing I do want to call out, the room of um, alterations is awesome. So uh, for for Hogwarts Legacy 2, please keep that in.
0: I'm sure the team is like losing their minds with everyone asking them to do another one because this game was like giving birth or being in labor for like a month, right? Because it was so painful. This team to actually create such a such an experience, but
1: but they yes. have an engine now. But the, no, at, no, that's no that's I the know point. they have an engine. They have a
0: design. I mean, yeah. the iteration should be a lot easier from here on out. But I'm I just can't even imagine the team thinking, "Oh my god, we have to go through this all over again." But I'm sure they will, and they will probably take all the feedback that you're talking about.
4: Yeah, not only is it the feedback on on some of the features, they can really look at a different business model. So when you look at DLC or expansions like The Sims did, or like a Sims model, you know, Quidditch wasn't a part of the game. You could do an entire Quidditch DLC pack. Um, You can still exist within this first version of the game without doing a second version and have an incredibly successful few years just pumping in new content packs for this.
0: Yeah, Quidditch was originally part of the design and announced for the game, and they pulled it out because of development timing. But they're releasing a standalone version of Quidditch, a free-to-play version, um, which I think is not going to do well, but that's my opinion. And i also just say, that like, like, I don't think the code, I don't think the game was set up to do what you're suggesting. That's not to say that they can't do it with the next version of it, which I 100% agree with you, um, but th- that was just not part of their vision for this game.
3: Wait, I got to take, hold up, hold up here, because we, we got to talk about it. Like, consumers are screaming. They're screaming that Harry Potter is, is not what they're interested in. They're interested in the world of Potterverse. And we keep seeing this come up over and over again, that Harry Potter is not crucial or I would say fundamental to this vision. And I get so frustrated when I see people like Disney misunderstand Star Wars. I don't give a shit about the Jedi. I don't. I don't care about the Skywalker's. They're cancer. Uh, I. I love the world. It's so Oof, weird. There's so many weird. Rough take there. R- r- rough take for sure. But I want to see more of the strange, weird, and funky, bizarre things that happen. I want to go into the bars of Star Wars, and I think we see the same thing with Harry Potter's that they want to be immersed in the magic of the world. And when I see. Warner Brothers throw money at the DC universe over and over again, trying to revive a broken a broken system. Why are they not mining this franchise for TV shows? I mean, there was one that was announced, but why one? Why not three? Why not four? Why are we not seeing more games? Why are not seeing more movies? You know, we had Fantastic Beasts, but that was about it. This is a world that people are wanting to dive into. Do not stop at Harry Potter. Throw money at this. Throw money at this. Make this as big as the DC climactic universe.
2: So Andor was the best Star Wars show. And I guarantee you more people watched Obi-Wan. Right? Like I liked Obi-Wan, but it was popcorn compared to how amazing Andor was. And so I think the take that people don't want the core Skywalker franchise. I Mandalorian think Mandalorian revived
3: the whole franchise. That had that had very little Jedi in the first season. That was the refreshing part of it.
2: Yeah. I'm just saying like you can oh you can uh, overdig into a universe uh, by straying away from the popular things that people want.
4: Yeah, it's a yes and, right? So, so one of the challenges that Warner Brothers likely has is that its creator is very specific about the offshoots of the franchise that are allowed to happen. And you know, as they get more and more freedom with the creator, you know, Joe Joe Rowling's, then you know, they're going to see these opportunities and be able to go into it. So this 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 game. Is going to open all of the doors, I think, for things that you want to see, and I think you're right about the idea of an expanded universe and playing within it and introducing new characters, and that's going to be absolutely, you know, in the next ten years, we're going to see so much more from this franchise. It's it's really exciting. So the next next topic is uh, Nintendo Con, um, or and actually it's called Nintendo Live. So uh, some of our prediction abilities from last week are better than a magic eight ball. Good job, Laura. Uh, we shot called Nintendo Con, or rather, more officially Nintendo Live. It runs from September 1st to 4th in Seattle and coincides with PAX PAX West, so you have a chance to kind of do both. It's a family-friendly event, and it's going to have hands-on gameplay, stage performances, gaming tournaments. You have to go online and register for tickets, uh, May 31st to June 22nd, and you go to the Nintendo website for that. So we've had now the movie, the theme park that opened in Universal in LA, now a live event. Doug Bowser, president of Nintendo of America for the win. And please send tickets.
0: This is actually quite strange. Like it's like they're doing event like right. right, Gamescom is like right the same exact time. So I guess the different groups are doing different events. It's it's
4: they're actually a week apart. So uh, yeah, Gamescom is the week week before in Germany, and this is a family event. For the yeah. Americas. So I think this it, is, it, it, I, it makes I, sense. I guess
0: this is truly a new Nintendo though. Like they were never like this before. All they did was these like wacky, you know, Japanese the events online, you know, with him like Nintendo Direct. dressing up as and, as Yeah, Mario Nintendo Directs. Acting the fool. Yeah. So this is really interesting news. Um uh and then also uh so their earnings announcement was yesterday or the day before and uh so, so far, I'm looking very wrong on seeing a new switch, right? They basically said that the switch, the next version of switch is not coming until the following year. Having said that, of course, they have to say that if it's launching anytime in holiday or the Q4, they don't want to like torpedo sales of the existing switch by by announcing it. So they still, in essence, could announce it in the September events uh, potentially. But it is looking more and more likely that's going to be next year um, in which the new switch comes out, which was implied in, in the presentation. So I was definitely wrong about that. Um, but anyway, I mean, I, look, I think what they're doing is amazing. I think they're they're reaching out to the customer. They're expanding their brand. They're licensing. They're doing movies. They're doing television. They're doing animated series. They're basically becoming a, quote unquote, um, media company, which I think is great. And it's something that's they've been promising for a while and they seem to be executing on it. And perhaps Phil Spencer at, at Xbox can start learning from... You know the big boys on how to actually make a successful game company, rather than what we're doing, what they are trying to accomplish right now. Uh, but we will uh, talk about that in a minute.
1: So, riding on the Nintendo wave. Um- assuming there are no delays, and since we haven't heard anything yet, I'm very hopeful this is is still gonna be accurate. Tears of the Kingdom, which is Zelda's Breath of the Wild 2, is coming out on May 12th. I would argue this is the biggest anticipated release of the year um, after the new Pokemon games. Uh, I took a little look at uh, Lifetime franchise sales for Nintendo, and I believe it is number three. So Pokemon's obviously number one, and Kirby, was number two, uh, 50 million. Pokemon was, you know, almost, almost Where's half a Mario? billion.
2: Where's Mario? And Mario Mario has to be oh. bigger than Kirby.
1: <laughs> I forgot Mario. You forgot. Um, you know why I forgot Mario? Because I only looked at games. Because that were you going keep to be calling him Mario. Okay. No, because <laughs> I only, I took the, I only looked at games that were going to be, that Nintendo was releasing this year in those franchises. So there's no new, there's no new Mario game. Um, right that's if you don't stop saying so. mario
0: i think i'm gonna <laughs> i thought you were uh, italian
3: i thought I you were italian, italian. mario <laughs> come
1: on i think it's it's growing up in new york Oh he's actually. in
3: jersey though we learned we learned that in the movie he's a jersey he was, plumber. i think
1: he i thought he was in queens
3: queens my bad
1: <laughs> what, what? anyway it's
0: like the misinformation podcast okay moving on this episode is brought
2: to you by data ai Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fun really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is, we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI. So, what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free.
5: In today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Exola acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro/paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed.
2: Uh,
3: Phil Spencer went on the kind of funny podcast, and let me tell you, it was not a kind of funny interview at all. The last time Phil Spencer went on to a podcast was in the wake of Halo Infinite's delay. He was interviewed by a Very interesting panel of people, and he was mostly there to do damage control in the wake of Redfall, which is the game that was recently released under Game Pass, a studio owned by Microsoft. The game has flopped. It's had a ton of technical issues. It's had a lot of frame rate issues. There were a lot of broken promises when it came to what the uh, the frame rate would initially be and what it launched at. And so Phil Spencer spends about an hour uh, on this podcast taking questions from some very frustrated Xbox fans and and here's the thing that that Phil says we're not going to outconsole Sony or Nintendo no i mean just this unbelievable for him for him to be saying that we're not going to outconsole Sony or Nintendo he goes on to say that the the worst generation to lose in gaming the worst generation to lose in gaming was the last one when players were building up their digital library this was a man who sounded like he had faced defeat it sounded like he was on the way out man, and just, lost he, he lost. lost, he lost, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he was making references to the fact that he was overpaid, uh, which is pretty shocking to to hear. He was making references to the fact there might be someone after him kind of alluding to that, you know, whoever's here after me, um, this just looked like a man who was defeated and was ready to hang it up, which is a real shame. You know, everyone I've talked to who's worked at Microsoft under Phil loves this guy, wants him to win by all accounts. He's a great guy. Um, but it's not clear he's able to build a compelling games business. And ultimately that's what matters at the end of the day.
4: Yeah, the comms team must be on red alert right now. Um, what, what I do think is interesting is he's he's talking about positioning, right? He's talking about losing that console cycle. And positioning is this evil thing that the marketers do that help a company or a game find its place against the competitive set. So what he's saying is, you know, hey, we took a positioning that was going head to head against these guys and and we lost. And so now we're going to try to do something else and try to do something different. They're going to have to pivot. And so he's trying to lay the groundwork here for his pivot. And that involves a lot of the the things that I think players aren't really excited about, because what that means is great games might not be in their crazy strategy. However, on the positive side, what I really respect from him as an executive and a leader is that he really took accountability, right? Like how often do you hear a leader come out and say, hey, a lot of this was on me. We made some really bad calls. Here are the bad calls that we made. And I appreciate that his support of the game team to take a creative hit and a creative, a creative strategy and, and to try something new. Um, listen, as a game developer, I think that's really powerful to have somebody get behind you and say that. So, just just a few positives there to end on what was a. You know, watching a guy doing a defeat round was was pretty rough. Yes, so I I totally agree with the taking
1: creative chances. The only thing I want to call out was one comment he made. Like, so he said, "Yes, I, I'm." He's taking accountability. Um, but what he also said was when they asked him about, so he started talking about postmortems and learnings and what they would do differently. And frankly, I would have loved, I would actually love to see this postmortem. Um, there are a few quotes that that he said that made me do a double take, which was what he would change. So one thing he said was he, need, he would have uh, needed to engage better on the games that joined the Xbox family midway through production. So I was like, hmm, interesting. And then the other thing that he would have changed is that he, he admitted to not doing a good job early on helping Arcane Austin understand um, the first party resources available to them. So while he was taking kind of creative accountability, I thought these were very interesting takes that seemed a little counter to what he was also saying, anyway. I would love to see the full postmortem. Holy all
0: fuck! All right, let, let it let it rip, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is fucking unbelievable. Okay, first of all, this interview was 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 scheduled months ago, right before the fucking they lost this deal with Activision, before like this disaster of a launch for one of their marquee titles for their acquisition of Bethesda. The only game they have this year that's of, of relevance, right? Which is a disaster. And he is 100% responsible for I don't give a fuck what he says about that, right? They had plenty of time to, to get involved in development and make this game what it should have been from the get-go. And it seemed like this game was forced on the studio, like we said last, year, last week. Anyway, but the thing that's crazy that people are not covering is he said the quiet part out loud. He said they are, they are failing at a strategy that has been going on for 20 years, right? Since the acquisition of, of, of Bungie, right? Um, and he's like, we are, yeah, like you said, he, we are not in the business of out-consoling Sony or out-consoling Nintendo. There isn't, that isn't really a great solution for us. What the fuck are you talking about? Like he was doing this, this is a strategy he's been going after for 20 years, right? He, he's like, I see lots of pundits out there that want to go back to a time when we had cartridges and discs and every new generation was a clean slate and you could switch the whole console share. Yes, that still exists. Make great content. People will come. That's the way the business works and that's what's best for the customer. Right. And it's like, he's basically admitting defeat on the strategy that he's been again, set forth for the last 20 years. And, and, and then, and then he goes on to say, that's just not the world which we are in today. There's no world in which Starfield is 11 out of 10 and people are selling their PS5s. That's not just not just not going to happen. Look, why would you acquire them if you didn't think that the game had a relevance to, to expanding your share? And this is just not true. They've been c- trying to compete on content since 2000 and they've failed miserably. And I, it is the right strategy. It's the right strategy for the customer because... What matters to the customers quality content. And the more competition you have and more people going after these customers, the better the content will be. And again, their acquisition strategy, billions, tens of 10 billion easy that they've spent on content. And in Phil Spencer's own words, in 2021, he said: the most important thing for us as a platform to deliver is great content. And that comes from great studios, right? His own words, right? And but that's where they have failed. That's where he has failed. Now he may be a nice guy; everyone loves him, right? But he has not managed his studios properly. They lost three. They lost Bungie, I think, twice at this stage. They, they, three four three is getting destroyed, right? Lionhead's gone. Rare is a sh- shadow of what it used to be. I think they're in the process of destroying Bethesda now. That you know, this one arcane, you know, one of the better teams is now like on 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 all frustrated and pissed off. Where's Fable, where's Gears of War? What happened to Perfect Dark, Banjo-Kazooie, you know? The only thing they've executed against is fucking Forza, which no one gives a shit about because racing is just such a small genre, right? That's not where the focus should be, right? So anyway, they have basically failed. They have failed to compete in the business against Sony and Nintendo, which are just better at this, right, than they are. And maybe it's because they're part of Microsoft, right? I don't know. But now, again, what I've been saying Everything I've been saying is exactly this, is that they are forced to leverage what they are, a big tech company with tons of fucking cash, investing $70 billion in buying the biggest franchise out there in order to push content through this money-losing subscription product, right? Like, that's what they can do. That's how they can compete in this space. And they tried to do it the right way for the last 20 years under his watch and others, and they failed. And so now... They're basically using daddy's money to compete in a business that they can't compete in. Right. And, and it's bull. That's what's so bullshit about this whole thing. Anyway, so that, I, I, it is crazy that he actually just said that the words and I, what I think just generally speaking is that he was in this interview. He lost this acquisition, which he's been busting his ass to make sure happen. And he was, he was defensive and he just, he just he capitulated like Jen said, this is it, right? I, I I don't know what else to do, right? And and maybe his days are numbered. And maybe, which would be the worst thing for the industry, frankly, is that maybe Ma- Microsoft pulls out of this shit, right? You know, Satya will just say, fuck this. Like, this we can't compete against Sony and Nintendo head to head. We can't get this acquisition done. That's completely unfair for the business. So maybe we'll just, we're out. Like, right? let Sony and Nintendo battle it out, which would not be great for the industry, frankly. But it may be the result of all this. I don't know. All right, that's it. That's all I got.
2: The, the, well, well done. Epic rant, as expected, delivered. Where I kind of agree with what he's saying. I, I mean, I'm a Sony fanboy. I'm on my fifth generation. I actually have four of the five generations of, of Sony hardware in this room with me and a Vita and a PSP. And at this point, my digital library of Sony games, uh, both the ones I've purchased and the free ones they give away every month, hundreds of games deep. Right. Like I uh, bought an Xbox 360 for game exclusives. That was the only generation where I felt a strong enough draw to buy an Xbox for the exclusives. Uh, everything else I do is on Sony. So I look at what they're trying to do with Game Pass. And for the type of gamer I am like, he's he's admitting here. He's lost me. I buy new Nintendo games because they have great ex- exclusives. I buy new PlayStation so that I can get every Ratchet and Clank game. And there's nothing to compel me to Xbox. What what gets me close, because I don't want to be living in this world where I'm spending a couple thousand dollars on discs and digital licenses every year, especially because I know that I don't play nearly close to all the games I buy. So like I know it would make a lot more sense for me to be a subscription gamer, stop buying discs and just focus on the subscription. And they have some of my favorite developers who've made incredible games, right? In Exile, id, arcane, rare, coalition, machine games, and Bethesda itself. These are amazing AAA developers and they have ambitions to become the HBO of games and to be uh, uh, putting out the premium content on a regular basis that keeps you subscribed. But with the AAA game, with AAA games, that's an incredibly tall order to have a consistent pipeline of AAA releases. On you know, even quarterly isn't going to be enough to get me to subscribe f- and keep it on. I would do what I do with other with like Apple TV. Ted Lasso's out, turn Apple TV on, finish Ted Lasso, turn it off. Like that's the type of service that they have right now is if I really want to play gears, I'll subscribe to it. And it's, you know, they've got the firepower uh, in these amazing game developers. They have a service that I know I want. But they haven't been able to execute it yet in a way that ties me away from my digital PlayStation library and my love of the Insomniac exclusives and all the other amazing games that I get uh, on PlayStation.
3: But, but this is the exact strategy I was talking about weeks ago that that Eric demurred. like they don't want to be in the console business. They don't want to be in the physical, the, the business of making physical boxes. They know they've lost that. Streaming is the 11 foot ladder to all of these app stores, you know, 10 foot wall. Streaming is how you make platforms irrelevant. It is about the platform of streaming, the platform of Xbox, not the physical device. The physical device is expensive. It's a loss leader for the first years of development. Streaming is the last straw that they have. You know, they probably looked at crypto. They probably looked at Apple Arcade and they're like, all right, this is it. All we got is streaming left and they're going to make the biggest go at it. But th- but the box itself is not a part of the strategy.
0: Yeah, but but that's not the business. That's the problem. Like the, fundamentally, the business is not where they that streaming is. And so like they're they lost. And they've lost for good, it seems. And I would say that creating—I—I don't disagree with the idea of creating HBO uh, um, type of strategy for sorry HBO content type of strategy. But the problem is they've destroyed all their studios. Their studios are just decimated. You know, everyone's gone, and everyone will leave. And if this Bethesda game fails in any way, like I don't think those guys are sticking around either. They got better options, you know. Um, And and that's on Phil. To not manage the studios properly and and his people. Um and so I, I again they 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 can't build I, I'm not gonna repeat the same arguments over and over again. It's just that the streaming that is not where the customer is. No one gives a fuck about streaming because the content on the consoles is far more compelling. And oh, and then the big thing I want to say is that people are not all a carte buyers on on players on on gaming. Like right? they play what they want to play. Like they're not they it's not like watch, going to Netflix and like picking a show and, and seeing if you like it, right? That's not the way that people consume games. You know, they're, they're, they're all kind of different archetypes of gamers on console and they play shooters. They play sports games they and they, they overlap in a few different areas, but it's not like they're like looking for the next action game right. if they're a shooter game. Necessarily. Right. But
2: anyway, with it, I mean, PlayStation subscription is pretty close for me, right? With a deep enough library and with enough exclusives, I would stop buying discs i don't want to be buying all these discs i'm i'm looking at about 200 of them right now but you know sony's pretty close for me personally uh to getting there and, and switching me over um because they have all of the a la carte dishes i i wish to uh to yeah. sample
0: sorry you're right it is sorry i think i misspoke it is an a la carte type yeah. model it's not a sub not a all you can eat model um on right. on console that's right. what i meant to say
2: it's just it's just really hard to build that compelling library, to
0: yeah exactly and and again again the perverse incentives of creating more content more frequently results in lower quality games more frequently which is not how people consume <laughs> AAA content it's just it's a complete ridiculous ass- assessment uh you know a business model for 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 game for traditional gaming as it is now um, all right moving on.
4: All right. So this topic is a little bit, a uh, little bit, a little bit hard to get through. Activision and Riot settlement payments are detailed. So from Axios Games, more than fifteen hundred current or former workers at Riot Games and hundreds of Activision workers are receiving payments as part of previously announced settlements over toxic workplace issues. The Riot payments are part of a hundred million dollar settlement from twenty eighteen class action lawsuit over allegations of gender. Discrimination, sexual harassment, and a toxic work work culture. So, this matters because it's, you know, all of these new details indicate just how many people, and mostly women, were impacted by problems at both companies. I know that we talk about this topic a lot, and these workplace issues uh, haven't been in the news for a while, but let's not lose sight that the industry still has some challenges. So, you know, just a little bit of data points, only 25% of the game industry identifies as women or non-binary, which is much, much uh, smaller than the rest of the tech industry. Tech is actually at like 47% females. So this is an industry that is really small on the representation for women and non-binary folks. Other underrepresented groups are even smaller. I think, you know, for for African-Americans, it's like 4% in the industry, which is actually at the highest it's ever been. Uh, Activision just reported their data at 26% for women and non binary, up from 24%. And Riot just uh, reported about 27% for women and non binary, which is great, right? We're seeing a little bit of progress. So, my short little public service announcement or PSA for today. So, I know that 75% of the listeners probably identify as men. So, just Give the 25% of us that are in our category a shot to bring magic to our industry and, uh, and the players that play our games by thinking of yourself as an ally. So uh, I just wanted to give three quick tips on how to be an ally. Um, I don't want to go too deep on, you know, all of the different things that surround this topic, because I know that, you know, many of you feel like you're being told this a, a lot. But so here are three things you can do. Number one, listen and invest in somebody from an underrepresented group. So set up an ongoing relationship. Don't just have one meeting and and ask them how to be an ally. Find someone that you really believe in, you think has a lot of uh, potential and set up an ongoing mentorship or sponsorship relationship with them and really get to understand their perspective because they can likely bring something to you and to the company. Number two, if you see something, say something and do it in the moment, So think to yourself, oh, that felt cringy. Do I want my daughter? Do I want my family member or friend going through the same experience? You have an opportunity to say something. So people often say to me, Jen, what do I say? In that moment, I'm an introvert. I don't know what to say. Rely on your company values as a way to interrupt the behavior. Almost every single company out there has respect as one of their company values. So just come in and say, hey, I think what you were saying goes against our company values of respect why don't we start over with this conversation? That's a really simple way. It's not on you. You're using your company values to do that. So this just scratches the surface. I hope it was a few bite-sized tips. There's you know, a lot more. Ping me if you want to have a conversation or have other things to talk about or other tips. And Laura, I know that, you know, obviously you faced a lot of this yourself. And, you know, so what, what are your thoughts? Well, first I want to say, I think, it's incredibly helpful that you're giving
1: actionable advice because this is—it's a topic that's difficult to navigate, difficult to respond to, and there's a lot of pressure to say and do the right thing, or at least say and do not the wrong thing. Um, the only thing I would—I would, I would add—is um, a lot of us that are—I don't know about um, those that listen to the podcast, but a lot of us that are managers—we uh, have a lot of influence over people's livelihoods and their career trajectory. So when you're helping to grow people, you're going to be helping a really usually a wide variety of different types of people. And the only advice I would give is uh, think about the language you use, um, especially if it's going into the area of constructive and, and, and try to think about when you're writing these, these evaluations, that so you're talking to people about how to grow, uh, think about if it's something that you would, you would say or could say to anyone and it would still make sense. Um, I have one, <laughs> one, one memory of of having been told in my feedback to smile more and while it wasn't it was well intentioned of course um, I'm fairly certain that it was not feedback that was dished out to anyone that, that frowned or had a, a neutral resting face. And I, I, the, my first thing was, I can't picture Crest sitting in a performance evaluation with his manager and someone telling him to smile more. Or maybe they did, but I, I, I think it'd be, not, that's not what I think that would have been focused on. It, <laughs>
2: if it makes you feel any better, I have once, only once in 20 years, been given the feedback that I needed to uh, smile more and, and uh, present more positive energy. So it did happen one time. You're not alone, but (laughs) I don't think, I don't think the undercurrent of the feedback was, was quite the same more, more seriously. Um, and Jen, especially being an ex-rioter, I'm curious how you view riots, DEI efforts. You know, they put out an annual report. Um, I, you know, from, from the outside, it appears that they've, um, as an org, worked on making changes, making improvements since um, these lawsuits began. And I'm curious, um, do you pay attention to these DEI reports? What's kind of your reaction uh, when you see them?
4: So a, a quick story, when I joined Riot, I was in the interview process in 2018 when the Kotaku article hit. And I went to my friend who actually was on the DEI team at Riot. And I'm like, oh my god, what the fuck? why would I ever join this company when this happened? And after a long conversation, I decided I wanted to join because I knew that Riot had a chance to be a leader in the industry to make a change for the better. And that all of the funding and resources that Riot had were going to go to DEI to combat this problem. And you know what? A couple of years later, this actually is the case. So yes, it went through and paying the settlements. It is a part of the past that has really driven a lot of change in the industry i don't think you would have seen what happened with activision or ubisoft to come out if not for what riot did which is take accountability kind of to the phil spencer the leadership took accountability and said you know what we're going to have dei we're going to hire a team of people to address this we brought in a woman named Frances Rife who's a harvard business school teacher who talks about the benefits of inclusion and diversity. And when you have more people who represent those voices, those voices end up making a better product. The better products lead to a better business outcome. And the entire company went through uh, sexual harassment training, uh, feedback training. We we had classes on how to give feedback. And the company and the culture is in a hundred percent of a better place because of those issues. And so I think when you when you look at the reports, when you look at the progress. It does look like, in your words, Mike's nuts, but all numbers are going in the right direction, which is great for us to hear as an industry and and hear as women in games, but I think we can't lose sight that this is something you can't check a box on and just move on. You really gotta continue to work at it. That's why I'm talking about being an ally. That's why I'm talking about what is it that the 75% can do to make sure we don't lose momentum in this field.
0: All right, I guess that does it for this week. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Bye,
2: Twiggies. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.